This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. Today, I am on episode 41 of the Common Sense Podcast, and I have an awesome guest, somebody I've known for over a decade now. It's crazy how it's life goes by and all of a sudden you're like catching up again basically so i have my awesome friend michelle robbins from the other coast here thank you so so very much for joining thanks so much for having me tomorrow it's great to see you and connect with you again and i'm excited about podcast yeah yeah so so give us a little bit of background what where have you come from what do you do what's your life like where what's your career story um it's pretty interesting because, um, well, what I'm doing right now uh, is I'm, you know, I've been working in technology and uh, programming development for the past more than 20 years. But when I started, I actually started in college, uh, my major was not technology, it was not a computer science major. And in fact, I was pre-law. So I majored in psychology and criminal justice, because I thought I would go on into um, working as a prosecutor, criminal prosecutor. That was my path. And then I worked uh, throughout college at a law firm and I was cured. Uh, (laughs) I, I, at the end of my senior year, near the end of my senior year, I went to each of the partners in the law firm, actually to the partners and the associates. And I asked them all if you had to do it over again, because, you know, considering after, you know, five years, double majoring, all of that in college, then heading to law school was a big decision. So I wanted to make sure it was the right next move. And I was kind of on the fence. So I went to each of them and I asked them, if you had to do it over again, would you do something different? And to a person, they said, yes. There was one associate who um, didn't. He said, he said, no, do it for the money. <laughs> I'd still do it and do it for the money. And I said, well, I'm not really motivated by money. So, you know, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a good reason for me. Um, but I was really struck by how many of them would have done something completely different, but felt really stuck because of the choice they had made and they had gone too far, you know, by that point to turn back and do something different. Um, and uh, that made me consider, what do I want to do now? What do I want to do right now? You know, you can always go back to law school, right? You could always pursue it later. In fact, that's when a lot of them suggested. So I had been in college radio in college as well, worked at the radio station, had a lot of friends in the music industry. And uh, after graduating, went to work at Disney's commercial record label in the radio promotion department. So I went from pretty much a clear path to law to working uh, in the music industry. And I spent about four years there, um, which was pretty incredible. I had a great time, you know, still friends with, with so many of my friends from that industry. Um, it was a lot of fun working with artists and traveling around, but the music industry um, was not a friendly place to women, um, let's say. It was, uh, I mean, everything that we've learned, you know, in the Me Too movement, 100% co-signed, true. So uh, I realized that wasn't, that wasn't going to suit me in the long term. So I, uh, at that point, had been contacted by a friend that I'd gone to school with to, at UCI and some other friends of ours from UCI had started a startup in Orange County and it was a uh, 
combination of a software development company and an online presence, you know, digital agency. Um, and that's where I met Danny Sullivan. So we worked together at uh, Maximize Software, Maximize Online. So yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about it, Danny, because so we know each other through this mutual friend. Well, not even we're just through the industry. Michelle and I really date back to the search engine marketing industry. It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'll probably share my story afterwards. I was taking a little bit of notes here. Like I minored in psychology and and in technology, and here I am in fragrance. But it's funny. I was a private investigator for a while, and I was actually interested in you know, criminal justice and looking into that as an option. So, and, and my mother always had told me, you know, you're going to be the lawyer. And I had pursued education that kind of was headed in that trajectory. But yeah, I, I also hear the same thing. It's, it, it, you go so far, you feel like you have to do it. That's why I majored in computer science. I struggled in computer science, but then even thinking about law school, another three years. And then once you're there, uh, I mean, where I live, a lot of my friends are former lawyers. Like they actually left entirely because of the mm-hmm. same struggles that um, you know you're describing. And people are doing it for the money. I have a friend who left, had you know she she left. She you know she settled down. Then she had kids. Then she ended up becoming a single parent and said, "I have to go back to law." But she was a teacher for a while, and she. Like that's that's the nature of the beast. Everybody kind of has to make it work, but that's, you know, it, and people end up having to do it for the money. But but they realize it's just it's not fulfilling, and it's a very it's it's just long hours. So yeah, you have the flexibility of technology there. Yeah, that's what I and that's what I saw working at the law firm. And um, you know, we live. I always say, and I you know I do a lot of mentoring with young women, um, and I always try to try to reinforce that you don't have to have your life made up in college, right? You don't have to have your life planned and, and everything set by the time you're 18 or 22 or 30, you know, we live really long lives and we can have multiple careers. You know, there's nothing, nothing's written in stone saying you've chosen this, therefore you must do that. And I think that's, um, that's what I've learned throughout life that, that pivoting is possible. <laughs> and if you want to go and do something completely different, you can. And I mean, you've demonstrated that with what you're doing. Now, you know, I met you in social media. Yeah. And now you're in perfume. <laughs> it's so weird. It's funny. I had a friend talk to me and I told him I'm launching a perfume brand and it's a mutual friend. You probably, I'm not naming him here. He's like, you know, you do SEO so well, you got to continue doing SEO. And I'm like, I never really was an SEO. But like we worked, you know, in the search engine uh, optimization industry, the search marketing industry, it's 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 very close, like especially the first, the people who've been in it, in it for like the last 10, 15 years. It's a very, very niche community. Everybody kind of knows each other. Uh, and the expectation is because I was part of that community was that I was able to perform. I'm not sure I felt that way. Uh, you know, I loved, I loved the... I love the community, but I never felt like I met that expectation. Some of these guys are just like, it's, it was amazing just to take notes and like, feel like I was able to suck in that, that knowledge and whatever, but I wasn't, I don't think I could ever have executed as well if, you know, if I ever had the opportunity, which I never did because I just like to learn, but not necessarily to do. (laughs) Yeah. And that's fair. And, and I think that, you know, considering, you know, well, you'd like to do that then, right? But then maybe you 
something new caught your eye, right? Like, well, now I want to go do this. Now I want to go learn that. Curiosity is an incredible thing, right? And feeding that curiosity and feeding your passion is so important. And not, not, not buying into the notion that you've decided to do this, therefore you are that, right? You're not your job. You're not your job title, you know? Um, if you're passionate about something that's completely has nothing to do with your job and, and you want your job or to do whatever, you know, field you're in to make the money, that's fine too. But you, but not listening to that passion inside and pursuing it uh, is where people then start to form regrets, right? And they start to wish they'd done something differently. And then you truly do get stuck because if you spend so much time then you almost can't see a way out of it, right? After out of a certain industry, if it's the thing you've done forever. Whereas I tend to think that, you know, smart people can learn anything, right? <laughs> and it might be something new and it might be something scary, but you can learn it. You can learn all about it. Right. And if you're passionate about it, shift your focus to it. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, in 2018, I wrote a book on genetic genealogy. Like what a deviation from marketing, you know, marketing and this and that. Genetic genealogy, I will tell you, I had been enthralled by genetic genealogy and I had been already giving advice to people for many years prior. And But I had a story, you know, the story was a few years into it, but I put like, you know, for a while it was like five to 25, well, 25 hours, 20 hours a day uh, in, in grains in like learning and soaking in as much as I can as, as a sponge. And having written a book on genetic genealogy in 2018, I was met with a fair share of critics she comes out of nowhere and she just like, you know, swerves into my lane kind of thing, especially amongst the folks who, um, you know, had the credibility. But if you think about it, genetic and no, none of these people are scientists, by the way, genetic genealogy is a consumer product these days. It's accessible. It was it only became really accessible in the last decade. I think it's 2010 when it was commercially available. I think 2013, 2015 was when people started using it and it became like more of a popular thing. So when I started writing about it. You know, I already had like three years, three years and change, four years actually uh, and change of, of knowledge. So all of a sudden, you know, someone who's like in 2010, but doesn't feel like I, I'm going to foster this knowledge and, and things have obviously had improved. You know, it's like, at, you know, the algorithm, everything changes and everything gets updated and it becomes better and becomes more humanly accessible. And there's data points around it and there's APIs and the like and all these things. And, you know, somebody finally is able to express it in a way that it's it's identifiable and it's relatable to the common man that's that's my objective here it's me making sense of it for me but obviously helping other people in the process you know it's 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 very difficult you know to to, to that, that that that's always been a struggle for me as well to kind of make my way and show that you know it, you can totally become passionate as you say about something and you can totally learn these things and you can totally become i don't consider myself an expert but you can totally become an expert I consider myself an enthusiast who's able to articulate how to how to use the, the science and the knowledge. But here I am in fragrance because the community didn't really like that. You can't. You, it was it was it was difficult, I will say. So, yeah. But tell me about your story, because I know that you went into technology and you had I mean, it was completely big deviation from your life. And you had your Huge. own kind of pain, uh, there were pain points in that story. So talk about that. Huge. So, um. Well, when I joined the software and online company, I worked for both sides. 
and um, ultimately the the founder of the software company had also founded the online side and um, sold it off to uh, another company in Orange County. Danny had moved to uh, England by that point to open his own consultancy, and um, I uh, stayed working with him and through his consultancy, but it's a software company as well, and I wanted to understand um, because I was doing sales and marketing for the software company when I joined. And I wanted to understand how they built their products, how everything worked. I've always done better understanding everything behind the concepts, right? So I felt like I would do a better job selling and marketing the products if I understood how they were built. And I worked with um, just incredible people. I think this goes to the importance of having mentors, right? Having people that help you on your journey and that, that open doors and then show you, yes, you can, instead of saying, you know, don't worry, you're pretty little head about that, right? <laughs> and I had that in the software engineers and founder of the software company, in particular, Ken Spicer, um, who, when I went to him and said, I'd like to understand what you do here, what you guys are actually working on, you know, on the daily. And they said, okay, great. How about set aside an hour a week in the conference room, pick a topic, and we'll teach you. And I said, okay, you know, first topic, TCPIP, break that down for me. What's that all about, right? And um, they, were, they were incredible, right? They were That's generous awesome. with their time. And at no point did they say, no, this really isn't something you should pursue. No, this really isn't for you. I mean, they knew my background, they, and they knew me. And they said, yeah, absolutely, you can learn this. And so uh, I started learning about how they developed the products and decided to go back and back to school, back to UCI, and took some programming courses. Now, at the time, all of the, the software company developed Windows server, you know, web server utilities. So my primary, you know, the technologies I learned at the time were Windows-based. So it was, you know, C, C++, C, VB, you know, all of the Microsoft tech stacks. And then um, when the company, uh, when the founder decided to move the company up to Silicon Valley, I decided at that point to still still work with them, but open my own um, web development agency because one of the people who had worked at the online side had gone on to founding his own digital agency for web development, and I was working with him. And so essentially I learned software development from the founders of the software company, That's web great. development from um, a guy who uh, had worked on the online side and um, then I went to work with him. He's actually now an engineer. He's been an engineer at Google for probably coming up on 20 years now. Um, so I learned web development from him and um, then of course search marketing from Danny Sullivan. So I had the, the best set of mentors I think a person could have. I think I was incredibly fortunate I think they were they were incredible mentors with their time and with their talent and with encouraging me to pursue any of the directions I wanted to That's and great. supporting me in then developing my own uh, agency to provide those services. So, um, you know, sending me clients and things like that. So uh, I started that and had my own agency then and where I primarily did, you know, with web development, it was front-end and back-end applications. A lot of back-end applications, um, some front-end, you know, traditional website stuff. And then, of course, it was early. This is the early 2000s. Um, you know, search engine marketing was just on the scene. So I was providing SEO and things like that for my clients as well. And did that until 2006 when uh, Danny reached out to me again because he was launching Third Door Media. And so he came to me and said, uh, 
I need somebody to run my technology. Do you want to join the, the startup? I'm, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're looking to do. And can you run all the tech? And um, I said, sure. <laughs> I ditched my clients and joined the startup. And, and it's interesting because on reflection, I think about how significant that was, right? Because, um, you know, when you talk about overcoming overcoming issues, right, overcoming challenges in, in, in life and career, things like that, one of the challenges that I've had throughout my career um, is being taken seriously as a woman in, in technology, right, and, as, and specifically as being a programmer and web developer and highly technical. And that, I mean, now we say, we'll know we've reached parity, right? We'll know that this is no longer a problem when we're not treated like zoo animals, you know, when we're not a curiosity. When, when somebody says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a programmer, and they don't respond with, oh, really? You know, um, until we get there, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So um, I'm, I've been lucky in the internal support I've had from everyone that I've worked with. And, and, and like, you know what I was saying, like, think back to 2006, kind of crazy to consider that, like, you survey the field and Danny came to me and said, I'd like you to run technology for this company I'm starting. And um, that's pretty significant, right? Yeah, yeah. To have an opportunity. So you really, have really, really significant. Yeah. So you had this like, yeah, you, you definitely you got you got people who like Danny, who, by the way, he's working at Google now. I mean, he's like, if you Google this guy, he's like a big deal. Uh, and then you have like the other people who look at you and it's just like, what? Yeah, she's that chicken, chicken technology. Just where, where does that come from? And I totally get it. I, I, I definitely found that. I, so I, I went to Columbia University. But I actually was, uh, I, I majored in computer science at Columbia University, but I, I, I actually was a, uh, a student at Barnard College. Now, if you're familiar with the Barnard and Columbia relationship, Barnard is a sister college at Columbia University. People are usually, like, Columbia people will be refusing to give Barnard students access to, like, the name that they said, I go to Columbia University. It's sort of the same thing. The only thing is, for me personally, that was literally, like, where I was taking the bulk majority of my classes because Colum Barnard did not have a computer science major at the time. So I literally was, like, on the Columbia campus. And just to have that, like, there was, there was that culture as well. I would say, I remember when I first took CS 1007, I think it was, that first class, I, I think I was one of two after like seven or eight uh, freshmen. Uh, they they all dropped out. So one only two of us stuck through it. I think my friend Robin and I, and we did stick through it with a computer science major, but it was it was extremely difficult. And I just I had said to myself, I was literally 13 years old. And I said, I'm going to major in computer science. Didn't think had anything to do with like, it's really, it's not computer science. It's, it's science. It's, it's not it's computers. It's, it's theory. It's, it's, it's heavy, heavy theory. I almost say, you know, I would have rather had your trajectory where like I had a completely different minor stuff that's, uh, or major, you know, criminal justice, psychology, other things are that I was interested in. I minored in psychology. So, you know, I, I preferred that, but you know, I said to myself, I always wanted to be like, I wanted to learn how to program. And yet <laughs> the coursework didn't lend itself to learning that at all. So I never came out of college knowing how to command like the, the C++ or the Java stack, which was stuff that was taught in school, but they expected you to know the language before actually, um, you know, to, they, they expected you to learn the language on your own. And 
I was hoping to learn it in the class is 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 very different than what I normally what what I expected. It was hard. It's definitely harder. Yeah, that's that's interesting too because I don't know that I would have thrived in a computer science program necessarily, right? right? I mean, um, I thrived in the psychology and law, um, did really well, but. I think that what drove the interest in, in actually learning to program and learning the technology was the doing of it, right? right. So I was thrust in, a, in an environment where I could see things being built, I could see things being done, and right. so then learning, okay, this is how this works, and this is why you do this this way. Right. And then I went back to get the uh, in-class instruction, you know, not about the theory of it, but about the how you do it. So, of course, when I went back to UCI, I didn't go back to pursue another degree in computer science or anything like that. It was just specifically, you know, to learn these languages yeah. and be able to apply them. And then when I started consulting, most of uh, web development at that point, most of what had been developed was, you know, on the Landsat, right? So Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. So, and I had to learn that. <laughs> oh, that's so the best. I, that's yeah, it. yeah. So, but, but I learned that by um, actually self-teaching, right? I bought a bunch of books, did a bunch of projects, you know, built some applications, you know, built some PHP, MySQL, you know. Um, I did a lot of... Uh, uh, oh, commerce, like early web commerce, you know, um, forking some open source packages and things like that. So um, teaching myself pivoting again to learning a completely different stack of technology right. because that was what was going to support the work I would do for my clients and everything. So, um, so and it was just fun to... and it was interesting because you're building. Right. So just to interrupt, it's like learn. It's to to for those who don't understand what we're talking about here, because I enjoy this conversation and I understand it completely. <laughs> but it's like it's like somebody who has to like learn uh, Portuguese after they learn Spanish. So you have the foundation of Spanish and Portuguese is kind of based on it, I think. So basically, you're looking. What we were talking about, like the Windows stack, is like Windows technology, C plus plus, whatever. Uh, and that's a late programming language, and then PHP is a completely different programming language. Language. It's it's a complete like it's. You have a foundation, so it's easier to self-teach, but with, and you probably could self-teach without it. You just need a lot more time. But if you have a foundation, it becomes a lot easier. It sounds like this is the, the, the path that I would have liked to do because I really wanted yeah. to learn how to code and not the theory behind it, and I would have been a lot happier. I'm glad I understand a lot of code, but I do have to sit there and look up 5,000 reference guides and have like the PHP website. App. It's been a while. Uh, up and try to figure it out and I, I'm always googling like MySQL like how what is this code how do I grant permissions for this and that all these things that like I would normally know if I was actively and aggressively working on this I'm just glad I have an understanding of it these days is all but because I wouldn't overestimate how much you know programmers I mean just because you do something you know regularly doesn't mean you know everything right and I mean right. the stack overflow exists because programming yeah exactly help. it's true <laughs> I'm living in that too um, there's, there's a lot to know and you can't know everything. And I think about it like, you know, certain things there, you know, it's like math formulas. Do you need to have every math formula memorized? No, you just need to know where to go to find the formula and how to use the formula, right? Um, so I think that sometimes we make the barrier to entry for a lot of, um, a lot of skills and, and knowledge higher than it needs to be. And I think that can dissuade people from tackling it. Right. Um, so I hope that um, I hope that if anything, people you know listening to to this or you know other podcasts like it don't get dissuaded by either you know things that um, you might hear in the culture about whether or not you're 
going to be successful or can be adept at that or you have to take a certain path um, or by what you what you assume the, the, the knowledge acquisition looks like. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that the culture has been a little more receptive to women uh, getting involved. I do still, I mean, I think we're a generation, if not more, away from complete, I don't know, immersion and acceptance. Yeah. It's kind of like we, we see that evolution in terms of tolerance, like, I mean, through our, our lifetimes and how, you know, tolerance has kind of come slow. It's slow. It's a slow progression. But... I would hope. I, it's unfortunate. It's kind of at our expense uh, yeah. as we as we sit there and we kind of struggle through these clear misconceptions and and preconceived notions of what we can do as a human species. Like, what the heck? Come on! But that's the nature yeah. of the beast, and that's it. And hopefully, there'll be one day there'll be some massive programmer who can come out there and is not just a business person to come out there and like, you know, shows off what they have going, you know, what they can do. Um, and yeah, but we'll, it, it's going to be some time. It's going to be some time for that acceptance to, to really kind of resonate throughout and, and, you know, to ripple through the industry. I do think it's changing. I do think that um, there's so much more focus and emphasis and opportunity for uh, young women to pursue uh, more technical careers. I, and I think that's that's a good sign. In fact, I don't think the problem is a lack of a lack of opportunity or a lack of um, ability. Obviously, uh, I think that what we have to focus on is the experience once they're there, right? So, what is the experience once they're in a computer science course? You know, in, in a computer science program in college or in any kind of technical um, field in college, what is their experience? What are the what are they what are the messages they're hearing from their professors, from their peers, right? Things like that. Are they being encouraged? Are they being given the same amount of attention and support as the males? Um, and then there's the experience in, in work, right? Um, I mean, every day there's another unfortunate situation at a, at a big tech company where you hear about the difference between how the female engineers versus the male engineers experience working in that organization. So I think we have, um, I think we, I think we're good on opportunities and uh, you know pipeline. I don't think it's a pipeline problem. I think we need to start addressing and focusing on the experience problem because I think that um, women can be driven out of, of, of roles and of industries because they just don't want to have to be on the line, right? Like you said, it's at the expense of us. How many of us have just walked away and said, "Nah, I'm not here for this. I'm going to go do something else." Yeah, and yeah. that's what that's what I worry about more than more than anything else. But I do think, like you said, it's probably a generation away or so. Yeah, I mean, you see that in general as women step up and really kind of show themselves in the forefront, technology or not. You know, you yeah. have you see articles everywhere. Um, I had leadership role at X Y Z company. And I was groped by the CEO. Like, I mean, besides the fact that they talk down to you because the expectation of women is going to be subpar in performance, you get the also the, the abuse. And yeah, I do hope in time. Yeah, yeah. And with... for me, it's not even about the, you know, the, the, the harassment. You know, that's out now. That's behavior that can be, can be dealt with. It's more about the... Um, the uh, 
It's more about the other things, right? The microaggressions, right? It's more about the, you know, we're going to look at your code just a little bit more, you know, carefully, and we're going to critique your code just a little bit more strongly. And do you know what I mean? It's those kinds of things that that I don't know that I don't I don't know that the men are aware that that is happening, right? That's, that's it's the biggest problem. It's harder to the, the obvious things. I feel like are easier to overcome. Right. You know, the, that guy. You know, the sexist pig, or he, he he does these things. You know, that that can be a little bit easier to address. I think it's the all the tiny things. Um, yeah, it's that can be a little bit more challenging. It's so completely work. Yeah. It hopefully we'll get there. But yeah, you're hundred yeah. percent right. It's completely an un- unconscious bias. It's totally there. Yeah. It's present. And I don't know if there's a way to change that besides addressing it head on like this, or we just need yeah. the adults of our generation to teach the younger, the children that, you know, every, everybody's equal, but unfortunately yeah. that's a lot harder to do. It's cause they have to, they have to step out of those biases themselves. You know, like yeah. I teach my children, especially like, you know, with I don't I don't know if I want to raise this, but at the same time maybe I do. You know I teach my children. Um, yeah, I grew up I grew up in a very very insular community, and I wasn't exposed to the diversity that I had been later in life. So my my children don't look at skin color as anything. But of course, you know elsewhere when you when you're raised in that that way, you know things are obviously different. So you know my my child to me like I don't even know how to explain you know, somebody who's different than me, either from like, you know, culturally or whatever, because like, to me, every a person is a person. How do you explain it to your child all of a sudden? I mean, you have to like kind of do it. I don't want to, um, but like, you know, and, 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 but when you hear it in the other types of contexts, you like, you just kind of feel like you have to, uh, or at least to, to articulate, to, I, to explain like, why is this like this? Yo, well, they, you know, their belief system's a little different. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. Um, and that's what I, I hope other people can do the same thing, you know, like, but it really kind of comes down to the the next generation kind of to pick pick up pick it up like if they had a computer class where all girls were taught the same thing that boys were and that continued like i don't know i don't know how to change the education system i honestly don't i think it does come <laughs> it comes primarily inside the household though for forget the yeah. uh, ed- institution and so i mean i do the best i can um i i know i'm definitely not perfect but at the same time you know i'm so glad that my children are living uh, amongst a lot more diversity than i have because you know i had to also i i'm sure i still have a, the same sort of you know everybody has these subconscious biases somehow in some way sure sure i could go in a match yeah it's, it's, it's the thing <laughs> that we don't i mean and it's hard to it's hard to to break through some of the noise and vitriol around these kinds of topics because People, people think that, you know, you're calling them bad or you're calling them, you know, you're a bad person, right? When it's really that it takes work and attention to evaluate your unconscious biases. And first of all, we have to admit that we all have them. We all do. We come with what we came with, right? And if you, if you remain, um, you know, if you don't analyze, you know, some of the things you've been exposed to and how that might be different from another person's experience, and if you can't develop empathy around understanding different people with different experiences, then um, there is no hope. But I think that's what it is. I think it's just understanding that people have different experiences and people, people walk the world differently depending on where they come from, depending on what their skin color is. And to pretend that that doesn't happen is um, to do a disservice to everyone. 
So I think it, I think we have to examine it, and I think that being intentional about it is the only way through it, right? It's not going to, it's not going to magically get better. I'm sure that you know. I think about, think about all the protesting that's gone on over the past four years, and my heart breaks for the women who did this in the 60s, right? It's like imagine we remember like all all the women that were were out there marching for you know equal rights, equal pay, and the right to, you know, access to health care and things like that. And they, they worked so hard and did so much and broke so much ground. And then here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later, and we're out there on those lines. So it's sort of like how much, and it's been a generation, and I'm sure that those women thought it'll be better for the next generation. And in, and in ways it has been, right? And I'm not to say that there's been no, no ground gain. There has been ground gain. But um, without... I mean, how much, how asleep at the wheel have we been, right? Have we been asleep at the wheel and assuming, well, things got better for me, therefore things are better. And um, I think that's a problem. Things have gotten better for you and I. Have things gotten better for women of color, right? Have things gotten better for, for people who aren't in our, you know, demographic and raised the way we were and come from the segments of the population. And so I think it's, it's our work to do, right? Like, we do still have work to do, and so we have to be intentional about it and not just hope that it comes from the next generation. Yeah, we, and yeah, like said, it starts with what you do in the home. It's what you do in the home, you know? But yeah, you're right. Intentionality is really important. It's about really addressing these things. Um, and like doing the best you can, making sure that there's an awareness, but the way that, that it, the response is is observant yet proactive to, uh, you know, kind of push those mindsets away. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah. So I, you know, I'm I'm thinking about that, and you know, we talked about right before we uh, the podcast recorded. I was telling you I'm reading Gretchen Rubin's Better Than Before, and she talks about um, how habits. There's four types of people who, um, why habits, some people, habits are very easy to come by and creating uh, habits is more difficult to come by. And it's all about, everybody is different. So like, for example, there's people who are upholders and they try to, they stick to everything. And then there's rebels who totally do the opposite. And then there's two different uh, people on the, uh, in the, in the middle of the spectrum. There's observers and then there's obligers. Observers will do it, but they'll question everything and obligers will do everything. And um, because they have to, they have to do it to to be accountable to somebody else. And so there's everybody on all different types of the spectrum. Reason why I mention that is because it's all about like setting habits and kind of improving yourselves uh, to do to be the best person that you are. And you have to figure out where you fit in that mold. And that there's no like I said before, you know, it's not necessarily science backed, but it really is. Like what she says is relatable. You completely identify it. I think everybody in all different four, all four corners of this of this spectrum here, they they. They, they can read that and be like, yeah, that's me. I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of in between, but at the same time, I identify with it. So I, I, I say that in because of habits and, and building, becoming better version of yourself. And I know part, part of the podcast is, you know, talking about, um, you know, focused, being focused on being your best self and doing self-care to, to exercise self-care for that. So tell me a little bit about that. I know it, it's a little bit of a deviation, but I'm trying, I hope, hopefully I bridge that gap a little. Um, yeah, so, so are you asking me what are my self-care habits? Yes, what is your self-care routine? My self-care routine? Um, I bake. <laughs> oh, yes, I saw lots of that. Good, she makes some really good stuff. You can follow her on Twitter. It's some really good stuff. That's, that, that's fair. Because, 
the, the thing that drives, um, I don't want to say it's inner peace, or um, I, I can't, I, um, I'm, I'm stressed out in a cluttered environment, right? Or where there's not an outcome, right? I need an observable outcome. And so if, uh, if I've got a tough project or a tough problem solved, um, you'll generally find me reorganizing my drawers. <laughs> Taking all my socks out and refolding them and neatly putting them back in. If I'm if I'm cooking, if I'm baking, or if I'm organizing closets, my husband's like, "All right, what are you what are you procrastinating on?" <laughs> because he knows that I'm trying to work through you know a tough problem to a deadline. And so that to me, like doing that kind of thing, I mean that sounds like that's not self care, but it kind of is, right? Keeping, keeping my environment. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> Declutter is a huge part of it. Just so you know, especially yeah. I just read this like last night, this morning, really, like one o'clock in the morning this morning, uh, that Gretchen Rubin had even talked about doing something for a health and exercise and decluttering. Like she had a, four items. Yeah. I don't even remember because I read it too late. But like decluttering was a big thing. And someone had said she had mentioned a quote saying that somebody cleaned out their fridge and now that they, they felt comfortable changing jobs. And she's like, I completely identify with that. So don't feel yeah. you, you, you sounded a little like hesitant and you're like, I don't know if this is self-care, well, but I'm validating it. Cleaning. I don't think people think of cleaning as like self-care. I think they think of it as a chore, right? Where sometimes it can be a chore, but for me, it's, um, it's honestly therapeutic. So, you know, on the weekends, like every either Saturday or Sunday, depending on schedule, um, I set aside, you know, I usually set aside three to four hours just to make sure everything's sorted, whether that's okay, now it's time to deal with, you know, this cabinet in the kitchen and reorganizing it or, you know, uh, just cleaning. And I listen to podcasts. I'm listening to, that's when I get caught up on all the podcasts and things I didn't have time for during the week. So I listen to podcasts, I clean the house. And then um, what I really like about baking is that it provides an outcome, right? So cleaning does it well. I mean, there's obviously if you clean and then you see the house is clean. Yay, that's an outcome. Um, but baking is the same thing. It's creating something, right? So it's a creative exercise um, as well as, um, you know, I do think it is, you know, emotionally fulfilling. Like, you know, um, I baked a lot with my mom growing up and I baked for my kids and they love, you know, baking with me and the baked good. So I'd say baking and cleaning. <laughs> I like it. No, listen, you know, it's, it's unconventional from what I've normally heard in this podcast. Like everybody's focused on, I'll take a walk. I don't know if I'll do anything, but I'll sit in the garden. Like, and you're like, let's bake and clean. I'm going to just call attention <laughs> to your Twitter right now. Michelle Robbins on Twitter. And you just see some of these things. And I'm just, I sit there and I drool. Like, there's some great stuff there. <laughs> so by all means, like, listen, you know, and cleaning, by the way, decluttering. It's funny. I like to collect things. I, I and I'm, that's actually why I'm, I'm in, taking this Coursera course right now. Um, from Lori Santos on like the science of uh, being happy, the science of happiness. Let's see what it's actually called. Uh, the science of well-being. And um, I think I think she, you know she talks about how people anticipate material gain, but like it's the anticipation is bigger than the uh, actual actual acquisition. And it's all about like she talks about like why that happens. We're based on reference point, hedonic hedonic adaptation, th things that you should technically read about because I can't give. It do them justice by explaining them but that whole the whole <laughs> idea here is that you know we we like to collect things but then most people want to get rid of it and i follow i actually do follow the clutter group on a couple of the clutter groups on facebook and on reddit and there was somebody who said i tried to sell all of my stuff 
in a yard sale and I made like $10. And that it's so valuable to me, like, and I'm sitting here hug hugging myself. But when I actually realized the world, like one mat, like mostly, you know, they have that, that quote, um, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I don't know if I could identify with that in that context, because most people don't feel like it's, it's not their trash. It's usually still their treasure. Like they don't want to get rid of, they want to get rid of it for financial right. reasons only. And most people's trash is other people's trash. So I guess I would uh, turn that into, but yeah. Um, but I think that you're right. I think it is therapeutic. And if you were and you could be like Marie Kondo, um, you should write that the whole Con Marie, uh, yep, yep. concept. So no, no, don't. Oh, I completely Marie Kondo all of my clothes. clothes. <laughs> I did too, but it, it, you know, and she says she wrote she writes in her book that my clients will never go back to this habit. I'm sorry to say she's wrong. I mean, I did clean yeah, out yeah. some of my clothes. Yeah. yeah, but I like to. I still like to. I like. I'm looking forward to. Like, I actually, I feel like I'm ready for a retail therapy session right now. Like, especially today's Prime Day. So, like, now everybody knows the listeners know we're we're doing this. It's the 13th. And I want to buy something. I'm sitting here like I want to buy something. I want to buy earbuds. I'm not sure which ones, AirPods or or Bose, the new Bose uh, sound sports that just came out. And I'm like sitting here like I need to do it, <laughs> but I don't want to do it based on like the science of what I'm learning right now. And I would want to declutter in the future anyhow. <laughs> so, you know, you're at a crossroads. So you're you're you're. I will say I envy the fact that you're doing what I would love to be doing. So even if you feel <laughs> shy and afraid, don't be, I would say. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So let me talk. Let me, let me ask, where can people find you and learn a little more about you and all that? So I'm, I'm in public on Twitter. I don't really um, do a lot on Instagram or Facebook or any of the other channels. Um, so I would say Twitter's the best way to, to get me as well as LinkedIn. Um, I don't, uh, I've not been good about, you know, developing my own site and portfolio and things like that. So, uh, you know, I don't have time for that, but, um, LinkedIn and LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay, cool. And it's Michelle Robbins on, on Twitter. Michelle Robbins, two L, two Bs. Okay, and, then, well. and on LinkedIn, you just have to ho hopefully her Twitter avatar will match up because I'm sure there's a lot of Michelle Robbinses on, um, on you LinkedIn. You cannot imagine how many Michelle Robbinses there are. Because yeah. I get all their mail, uh, yeah. and email. So. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yes. Um, but yeah, 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 you can find me there. And um, I'm somewhat active on LinkedIn as well with sharing things that I find interesting. But well, probably mostly Twitter is the, the community that's developed around the community. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. That's kind of why I came back. I took like a hiatus for like eight years and here I am. Yeah, you were, you were gone, gone forever. forever. I was gone forever. <laughs> you know, I couldn't find my voice. I wasn't socially anywhere, really. To be perfectly honest, I was on Facebook, but barely. I really didn't feel like I could engage for like, you know, being depressed. You just don't feel like you can do anything. And that was uh -huh. sort of where I was. But yeah, so here I am, and I'm trying to engage on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm struggling with both of those platforms just because the visibility. When you have 36.6 thousand followers, and all of a sudden you come back, like the algorithm doesn't want anybody to see your content. So like just getting back there is really, it's harder than you think. So I don't know. I have a few regrets not maintaining it, but then again, I don't think I would have been happy looking back at those moments and seeing what I would have posted about anyhow. So yeah, yeah you'll be fine. fine. You'll get it back. I'll be fine. Yeah. 
Uh, so let me ask you, the last question I would ask you is uh, our common sense question. And if you could tell an earlier version of yourself one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Mm. I love the hesitation. Never an easy question to answer. It's not, not an easy, easy question. question. It's not. not. Um, I, think I think that I have, I have learned, learned to be less strident as I have matured. Um, I've uh, always been very, um, there's a right to wrong, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of gray. <laughs> I've learned to accept a lot more gray. Oh, okay. No, that works, it works. That makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I know. And, and, and to be honest, honestly, um, I think I what think I've developed more than anything, anything um, throughout my career, because um, I've developed this alongside, um, I will say, having children, is empathy. You know, empathy. Um, understanding that, you know, your experience and how you would handle something is, is completely different from someone else's. You know, yeah. um, to, to, to give an example, example that um, you have to figure out a way to relate this to career or somewhere else in life. life. But um, my, my first child was super, super easy, easy right? right? Just, just, just really easy. Never had a look of trouble with him. He was great, well-mannered, ate well. We can go to restaurants. He was great. And then my second was just a nightmare. Yep. I get it. I get it. Nature, nature gives you a good first one so that you'll have a second one because exactly. it's my first and then my second. Forget it. Don't need all this science. And um, so, I mean, he's wonderful. He's, he's an amazing, amazing, amazing child. He's wonderful. But he was completely different. And so after having my second, when I, when, when we could be in restaurants back, back then, um, you know, if I'm at a restaurant and I see a family struggling with a child, right, who's just not behaving and making a lot of noise and being out of hand, my response is no longer to be like, oh, they just don't know what they're doing or they don't, you know, they clearly don't have, you know, good sense about raising children or whatever judgment you're going to throw at them. And instead I just send them drinks, right? <laughs> That's good. I like it. You're fighting the battle. Get some sleep, have a drink, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's that. I think it's, I think it's just being more understanding, more empathetic. I think that, um, Probably, Probably developing that earlier in my career would have benefited me, but, um, but I'm happy I did develop it. Awesome. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I understand the kids on the different spectrums. I get it. My, you know, I definitely have like that right now. It's hard. I don't think I'm, I'm ready to go to a restaurant. I mean, COVID times, but forget COVID times. I, my youngest is four right now, and I still think we're going to be a few years before we we, yeah. we go to a, as a family to any any eatery anytime. You know, it's, they're yeah, not yeah. they're you difficult. Think, as heck. You think you've got it figured out, right? right? You know, yeah. you think you're, you're, I mean, it's not like you don't have the experience. It's great. You do. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Everyone's an individual. Everyone's unique. You know, there is no there is no handbook. You know, I mean, there's lots of guides and lots of advice. But uh, at the end of the day, you do the best you can with what you've got. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I, lo I love the example for sure. I wish I, I don't know if I want the drink, but <laughs> I would be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I'm not sure. Maybe I should have gone to a restaurant with Michelle, you know. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you so much for, for this. This has been awesome. And I am so glad that, you know, we're able to reconnect in this way and learn a little more about your background. I mean, I've known you, but I didn't really know where you came from in this 
It's been really enlightening. It's fun. Thank you so much for having me, Tamara, and I'm so happy that we've connected. I'm so happy to see what you're doing with your, your new uh, perfume empire, your fragrance empire. I'm looking forward to watching it grow. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to share. So you'll see. You'll see. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time, 